time have come to reaffirm the fact that the God we serve is incredible. Amen. And I want to say to you that the love of God is incredible. Amen. It's impeccable. It is magnificent. Yes. The love of God is magnanimous. The love of God is both wondrous and wonderful. Amen. If you agree with that, would you say amen? amen? But if you don't believe that today, then just keep looking straight ahead at the cross. Amen. Then look up and join me in saying, thank you, Jesus. Amen. Then look up and join me in saying, to God be the glory. Because it wasn't the nails that kept Jesus hanging on the cross. It was love that kept Jesus hanging on the cross. So today, I want to deal with, biblically, from the Word of God, that same love that kept Jesus hanging on the cross, the same love that got Jesus off of the cross, and the same love that he has for individuals and families, because I want you to know today that family matters. Let me say it again, family matters. In addition to black lives matter, in addition to all lives matter, I want to say that family matters, and especially the family of the living God. And in today's narrative, in today's story, God wants to witness to us some truths that ultimately point us to the Heavenly Father, but there's some truths that will also have us to examine or re-examine, evaluate, or reevaluate our own lives. Now, based on Jesus telling this story, if you would look, matter of fact, you probably know this, but it bears repeating. If you close your Bibles, open them back up again, because that's our textbook for our time together. I don't have anything else to say. I don't know what to say to you if it's not for the textbook. So you have to have your textbook open because God might have some additional things from the textbook to reveal to you. But what I do know is according to Luke chapter 15, Jesus begins to give the narrative of a father that he said had two sons. Yeah. And it's interesting because Jesus says the younger of them, isn't that interesting? The younger of the two sons said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. That's interesting. It, 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 it's interesting in several ways. And, um, it, it, you know, give me the portion of goods that fall, falls to me. But notice the father, he, he's benevolent. It says that he, the father, divided, watch this, to them. Not just the youngest son. It says to them, to them is a plural pronoun. So he gave his uh, uh, goods that he had stored up for his sons. The youngest son asked for his, but he gave to both. He gave the inheritance to both the younger and the older. They both got something that I can refer to from my days. You got, uh, let, me, let me say, you got to be 55 and older to connect with this, but maybe you will connect with it from, from the context. He gave to, the, to both of his sons some ducats. Now, if you're 55 years old or over, you can understand what I mean by ducats. 
If you don't know what duckets are, you can ask somebody in my age category, or ask somebody 55 or older, or from the context, you will figure out what duckets might be. But he gave both the youngest son and the oldest son their inheritance. I call that duckets. Verse 13 says, not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and then wasted his possessions with prodigal, wasteful, riotous, wild living. Now isn't that interesting? There are some preliminary lessons that I think we can learn in addition to what's on your outline. I want to say to you, first of all, this is interesting to me because it's teaching me, I don't know about you, I don't know if you agree with this, but this is what I have gleaned from the text, is that you really can't always predict. If you have, if you're a parent and you've got more than one child, you cannot always predict what child might go astray. That's right. That's the truth. Now, not, not, not always. Now, now, hopefully none of them will. But, but, but something else that I learned from this text is that even if you are a godly parent, being a godly parent does not guarantee that a child or your child will not go astray. It doesn't guarantee that. You could be godly as a parent, you could be righteous as a parent, but it does not guarantee that your children will not go astray. In other words, you could be godly, righteous, raise your children in the right way, teach them about the Lord, and they still go astray. You could be righteous and your children wicked. I was just reading my personal devotions just this week about King Uzziah. Now, King Uzziah was a righteous king, okay? I, I, I'm in, um, Brother, Brother Mike, you were telling me what you're in. I'm in the book of Second uh, Chronicles right now. King Uzziah was a righteous king, but King Uzziah had a son by the name of Ahaz. Not Ahab, but King Ahaz. A-H-A-Z. He was wicked as wicked can be. His dad was righteous, a righteous king who pleased the Lord. But his son, King Ahaz, was one of the most wicked rulers in all of the southern kingdom of Judah. I'm just saying that although you might be a righteous parent, it does not guarantee that you'll have righteous children or that you'll have a righteous child. That's right. That's right. Hopefully. And I think the percentages are in your favor, but it doesn't guarantee it. Amen. So another interesting thing is I mentioned you, you can't always predict which one of your children, if you got more than one, you can't always predict which one might go astray because in my mind of thinking, I'm thinking that typically it's going to be the oldest child. That's what I'm thinking. Because the oldest child, they've already been under the parents' rule longer than the other siblings. They've already been under discipline longer than the other siblings. The oldest child is the first one to think they're grown. I, I, I typically think that if, if one is going to go astray, you might not agree, but I, I tend to think it's going to be the oldest child. But not necessarily the case. In this narrative, it's the younger son. It's the youngest son who approaches the father and says, Dad, 
I want to get I want you to give me what's coming to me. I want you to give me my ducats, my money now. And here's the thing. Here's the thing. This is a gracious father. It's pointing us to the Heavenly Father. I say he's benevolent and he's gracious because under Jewish religious law, the father has no obligation to give out his inheritance to his children until after his death, until the will, until the will is consummated after his death. And in Jewish religious law, the oldest son gets a double portion of the father's inheritance. But the father has no obligation for his inheritance to be distributed before his death. But watch how gracious the father is. The youngest son approaches the father and says, Dad, it's been good knowing you, but Dad, I want my ducats now. Dad, it's been good knowing you, but it's over and out. Give me what's coming to me. He looks at his older brother and says, See ya, wouldn't want to be ya. I'm out of here. The father gives to the son what the son has asked for and has no obligation to do it until after his death. The father is a benevolent and giving father. Now this, uh, in the story, this narrative of this father is really pointing us to the heavenly father. And if you really think about it, God has been good to you. Amen. It's not just the person in the narrative of the text, but when you think about how God has operated in your life, you and I have not dotted every I, nor have we crossed every T, and God has been gracious, and God has blessed us with things that God didn't have to bless us with, but he has, because he's a benevolent father. He's a, he's a gracious father. And so the youngest son gets his money, gets his possessions, and he breaks camp. See ya, what want to be ya, over and out, I'm out of here. Now one of the first things that I want to suggest to you, matter of fact, I want to put it heavily in suggestions, matter of fact, one of the first things that I want to stipulate to you is that whenever, whenever we uh, depart from the Father, we are headed for a slippery slope. We are headed downhill for a slippery slope whenever we depart from the Father. Would you agree with that? Because he leaves his father, he got money, but he gets away, and notice what the text says, it says he journeys to a far country. Now, a far country is a metaphor for sin city. Okay, the far country is, uh, the further you get from the father, the deeper the sin. The far country is, is, is where anything goes. It's where sin is rampant. The far country is where you can buy Thunderbird is always on sale in the far country. You can get King Solomon for a dollar in the far country. Three blocks go for a dollar. Far country is where any and every sin you can imagine is right before you. In the far country, there's loose men, there's loose women, there's loose living. Why? Why? Oh, I'll tell you in a minute. <laughs> he wants to know why? 
because that's the, the characteristics of the far country. Anything goes in the far country. Gambling goes. Gambling with your money, gambling with your life is an everyday occurrence in Sin City. But I'm here to tell you, we're headed down a slippery, slippery slope whenever we depart from the Father. When we depart from the Father, we're like a car driving downhill on a sheet of ice with bald tires. You're headed for a crash. I noticed some other things from the text. I have uh, about three other things that I want to share with you that God has, has given me from the text. If you look with me at verse 14, it says, verse 13 says that he wasted, he wasted his ducats, his money, his possession with riotous, wild living. You can imagine his lifestyle. Party over there! Party over there! You can imagine how he was living it up with the money that was given to him now by his father but notice something else the text says in verse 14 but when he has spent all he, he, he's partying he's, he's he, you know he, you could get blunt still you know cocaine mainline cocaine heroin and fentanyl is in the far country he's partying big time he's doing his thing But he forgot to save part of his ducats. He forgot to invest part of his ducats. He just kept setting up the bar. He just kept spending his money. He just kept seeing women winking at him. And he kept seeing the bar being set up by him because he had the money. He kept wasting and spending his money and when money goes out with none coming in guess what happens the text says when he has spent all notice, notice what happens when he's finally out of money the text says there arose a famine but did you notice the timing of the famine? It didn't come before he ran out of money. The famine didn't hit while he still had ducats in his pocket, right? But when he had spent all, there rose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. Have you ever noticed that when trouble rains, it seems like it pours? Have you ever noticed that? That, that? that it seems like when one trouble hits you one way and you're trying to address that issue, before you can ever get that issue resolved, bam, here comes another trouble or problem hitting you before you ever get rid of the first problem. It seems sometimes like when trouble rains, it seems like it pours. In other words, the famine didn't come till his money ran out. 
So he met double trouble. Not only is he broke, but he don't have enough money to relocate. Now if he had a couple few dollars, because the famine happened not where it had, it says in that land. If he had a couple, if he had a held on to a few dollars, he could have migrated to the other land, another land. He could have relocated to another spot that was more lucrative. But he spent all his money. Now that there's a family in Lebanon, he has no money to hit the next town, to go to the next city. It's amazing how when you're young and you got money, how your thinking process gets skewed. Not you, but other folk. It seems, it seems as if trouble has its own time clock. You, 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 you can't set a timer for when trouble's going to come in your life. In other words, you can't designate the right time that you want to experience the famine. No, 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 baby. Trouble has its own timer. You, you, we, we can't, as much as we would want to, we can't set the timer for our own troubles. Trouble comes at random. Job said we were born for trouble. Just to show as the sparks fly upward, we were born for trouble. Job also said, man that is born of a woman is of a few days and full of trouble. Don't think you won't be human and escape problems. Or you won't have them. If you haven't had any problems yet, you, yet, you keep living. You won't have some. Jesus said, in this world, you shall have tribulation, but be a good cheer. Keep on praising him. Keep on worshiping him. Keep on thanking him. He said, because I have overcome the world. You won't have the trouble. But rest your case in Jesus. I have found out that Jesus is a see me through God. Has anybody else found that out? I said, he's a see me through God. But I want someone to learn, because someone said they're the youngest son in the sanctuary. Somebody else might can learn from this as well. I want you to avoid the mistakes that this youngest son did, because according to the text, when the famine in the land hit, he began to be in want. Isn't that interesting? For a while, he had some food. He must have had some food stored up in the cupboard in his apartment for a while. But that, sooner or later, that food ran out and he began to be in one. But notice the next mistake he makes. This young boy who once had it good with the father, when he was at home with the father, he's in Sin City now, broke and a famine. If you're with me, would you say Amen. But notice what he does in verse 15. He went and joins himself to a citizen of that country. Mistake number two. Did you, do your text say that? 
NIV says he hired himself out. But watch this. To a citizen of that country. Let me, let me, let me, let me see if I, help me Holy Ghost to make this plain. It's one thing to be passing through. It's something different to be a citizen of the place. In other words, this is a permanent resident of Sin City that he attaches himself to. See, 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 he's at most, uh, in most lines of thinking, he's just temporarily kind of sowing his own, so to speak. He's a temporary resident, but he hooks up with someone who's a citizen. Of Sin City. Someone who makes Sin City their lifestyle every day. Do you know, do you know that it's possible even for a child of God to go astray? Would you believe that? Do you know that you could be saved, washed in the blood of Jesus, have a season in your life? I'm not talking about a permanent residency, but I'm talking about a season in your life where you can go astray. I, I know y'all looking holy. I got that. I know you washed in the blood of Jesus. I got that. But you still got a sin nature, and every now and then, even after being washed in the blood of Jesus, every now and then, you can still fall short and do fall short. You haven't reached sinless perfection yet. So he is sowing some wild earth, but he hooks up with someone who's a citizen. Someone who makes their everyday lifestyle. Sin. Corruption. And see, when you hire yourself out to a permanent resident, of Sin City, they put you under their employer. They're your managers now. He sends him, him into his field to do something that he probably said he would never, ever do as a Jewish boy, feeding pigs. But he's under the employ of a permanent resident of Sin City. And see, when you get so down and out that you latch on to permanent residents of Sin City, you have lumped yourself into a bell of corruption. I wonder, I wonder if, there, if anybody here can identify with this. I say this to people because of my own life experience. Be careful, be very careful when you say what you won't do. Be careful. I'm just talking about life experience. And I'm just putting a warning out there. Because sometimes, I'm not saying this is your story. I'm not saying this is your case, but sometimes life has a way of bringing you to something you said you would never ever do in your life. Sometimes life has a way of having you do something that you said you would never do. So I, I, I get that, you know, I get that you're holy. I got that. Believe me, I got that. But don't get too proud. 
Don't get too puffed up. Because life has a way. If you get too high, you better find you a landing place. Do not be conformed to this world, Romans 12, 2 said, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. He looks up and he finds himself as a Jewish boy feeding pigs. Sin City is not going to be kind to you because he was still so hungry even though he's under the employee of a citizen of that country they didn't treat him well because he's still so hungry that he desired to eat the parts that he was feeding to the pigs since city's not going to treat you well they're going to be with you as long as you set up the bar as long as you got money in your pocket, as long as the women wink and you're able to cater, they got your back. As long as the guys can ride shotgun in your car, as long as they know when you got money, they got your back. But soon as the money runs out, you were cute. That's it. That's it. You, you, you thought you had it. You thought you had the muscle. You thought you had the stamina. But they don't wink anymore when your money run out. You know your apartment door was busy when you had money. Now nobody knocks. I was glad when I got saved. For so many reasons. One, I had my car to myself. Amen. Amen. No, you, you, you understand. Before I got saved, I had a car full of riders. Everybody wanted to ride with Coop. I had shotgun riders, I had brothers in the back seat. But when I got saved, I wasn't setting up the bar anymore. I wasn't copping anymore. I had no more riders. No more knocks on my door. Right. <laughs> and at first it felt lonely, right? At first I was used to being surrounded by people. It felt lonely at first. But then I started saying with somebody, then I started saying, thank you, Lord. I got my car to myself. I can lean now. When I bump in the heads with somebody riding that close up on me, I could I had to do no more knocks on my door, but it's okay because I have peace now. And when I got paid, when I got paid, I had extra money in my pocket now. Oh, I'm telling you the truth. Would you believe, would you happen to believe that sometimes for some people it takes the pig pen of life to get them to come to their senses? Would you believe that for some people sometimes 
the pig pen becomes their friend because they find out they don't want to live the rest of their life like this. They find out, no, 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 I, 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 I was once with the Father. I once had a home with the Father. I once had food to eat, clothes on my back, money in my pocket. I once had fellowship with the Father. I don't want the pig pen to be the rest of my life. In that sense, the pig pen of life can do you some good. There's a motivating power for repentance. When you're in the pig pen of life. Maybe that's never been your story. Thank God. Maybe that is your story. Still praise God. Because if it's your story, that means you had a hand that got you out of the pig pen. And we can clap our hands and say, thank you, Jesus. Because I was a pen pen resident, pen pen resident. Now I'm a penthouse resident because of Jesus. The psalmist said, before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now, I know your word. The psalmist said, it is good that I have been afflicted because now I obey your word. Sometimes it takes the pig pen to get us lined up. My recommendation, at all costs, let this line you up and avoid the pig pen. Let the word set you straight and avoid the pig pen. Final point, and then we're done. The final point is coming to your senses will make you sense how good God is. Let me say it again. Coming to your senses will help you sense how good God is. Now let me take a brief survey before I give you the sub points. How many know for yourself, not because Cooper is saying it, not because of this narrative or parable of the prodigal, but how many of you know for yourself that when God lifts you, God can do for you more than anyone in the world could ever do for you. There's no man or woman that's ever been built that can do for you what God can do for you. The Bible says, look at verse 17. You got it, you got it queued up? But when he came to his senses, <laughs> sometimes it takes the pig pen to bring us to us. When he came to himself, that means he was living a lifestyle outside of himself for a while. But he came to himself. And he said, wait a minute. I got a father. And, and how many of my father's hired servants, even the people that he hired, have bread and they got enough to spare, and I'm out here dying from hunger. What kind of sense did that make? He says, I will arise and go to my father. And he got the confession down. Father, I've sinned against heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy to be called.
Lord your son, make me like one of your high servants. He arose and came to his father. If you have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ and you have strayed, I want to encourage you to turn around. That's what repentance is about. Do a U-turn. If somebody told me this morning, do a Huey, a Louie, and turn yourself around and get yourself back to the Father. Because the Father is the one that will provide security, stability, and strength. At your father's table, you can eat wonder bread. <laughs> that is bread that will fill you to the full and nurture you and give you stamina along the way. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. I'm the bread that came down from heaven and I give life. And that's life eternal to all men. At the father's table, there is an abundance of grace and mercy. So you know what I said? I said bite into some grace and chew on some mercy. It's all at your father's table. And God is so good. When you come back home to the father, there will be some folk who don't like it because your old buddies out in Sin City, they're not going to like it when you go back home to your father. They're going to talk about you. They're going to run your name through the mud. But this is what I found out God will do at his table. The Bible says, I'll prepare a table before you in the presence of your enemies. Your enemies, I will make you eat from the abundance of my goodness in front of your enemies. Your enemies who talk about you, who stab you, who dog you, will watch me feed you, will watch me serve you. And I found out at the Father's table, you can get enhanced vision without carrots. I said you can get enhanced vision without carrots. Because at the Father's table, somebody said, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. If you know for yourself that you ate at the table, just give him away. Just give him away. Say thank you, Lord. If you know for yourself that the Lord is good, oh, taste and see. You better than carrots, Sister T. And will enhance. I say he will enhance your vision. Would you join me on your feet? And I'm